Amen. Children are dismissed back to Praise Factory. If you grab your Bible and open it to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be continuing in our, um, our study of the Gospel of Matthew. And so we're going to read, and then we will pray. Um, and as we pray this morning, we're going to be praying for the, um, the uh, Arab Iraqi people in Australia. Now, you might think, like, that's totally bizarre and strange. Why Iraqi people in Australia? Uh, a number of years ago, I heard from a, um, uh, at, at a missions agency that, um, that, they, that there were some people who were translating the Bible into a, an, an unknown or relatively unknown Chinese language, but they were doing it in Chile. Why? Because Chinese immigrants had gone there, opened up restaurants, and they were this, this unreached people group. You cannot get to them. These missionaries found them, identified them, and were translating the Bible so that, so that they could get the Bible in place and then take it back or, or send it to these people. Uh, so very, very uh, important to think that people don't just live in the place where they're from anymore, right? People are immigrating all over. So the Arab uh, Iraqi in Australia, 46,000 of them in Australia, and, uh, and, and the, the figure for how many are throughout the world is not there, but there are, there are many more who live in different places. So we're going to pray for them as we, as we pray. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time that we can be here this morning and to hear your word. We thank you for allowing us to carve out this sacred time. Uh, Not because there's anything particularly special about the hour of of 10.30 or 9.30 or 10 o'clock, but because when we gather as a community and we open your word, you speak to us and challenge us. We lift you up in song. We, we are able to give and to connect to the work that you're doing throughout the world. As missionaries take the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, where it needs to go to those who've never heard it. We lift up this group in Australia, Lord. Is anyone engaging them? We don't know. But we pray that they would be reached because though 46,000 may seem like a small number in terms of world population, these are souls that are precious to you. And so we ask that you would work. We pray also, Father, that you would work in our hearts and that as those who are blessed to hear your word and to be able to have access to it at all times on our phones, in the pages of printed Bibles, uh, we hear it on the radio it, when, we, when we listen to, uh, to, to, to Christian radio or, 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 or preaching. We can have access to your word constantly. May we be attentive to it, Father. And we pray that you would help us, as we're going to discuss this morning, to reign in our spirits and to be in control of ourselves 
that we might grow in grace and godliness. We thank you for Jesus and we pray your blessing on this time now. I ask that you would guard uh, the thoughts of my heart and the words that I say and that they might bring glory to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, you may not know this, but you might. Um, I'm, I'm a transplant from New Jersey, and so I know relatively little about the history of Maryland. Other than that, uh, as a resident of this state, we have one of the coolest flags uh, in the entire country. Uh, I've, I've been uh, amazed. Like I, Growing up in New Jersey, I never saw anybody wearing a New Jersey flag shirt. Right? You know, it's boring. It's like beige with a seal on it. Awful. Um, but Maryland, right? I see kids all over the place wearing Maryland shirts. You've got stickers of crabs, like with a flag pattern on them. I mean, it's like, who came up with that? That's cool, right? Uh, Maryland's kind of a cool place to live. Um, the official motto of Maryland, you might not know this, is the Italian motto, the only Italian state motto. That's interesting. Of the Calvert family. Okay, I'm not going to attempt to say it in in Italian because it will just come out bad. But it's translated like this. Um, If you you take a a very simple translation of it. Manly deeds, womanly words. Uh, Right now, we bill it on, uh, in, in, in public we say this. This is the way they say it. Strong deeds, gentle words. Um... I think that's kind of an interesting motto, isn't it? Uh, I wonder, though, looking at the state of contemporary politics in this presidential race, like, is that the way that, that uh, people in our state, is that the way that uh, the political rhetoric of the nation is going right now? Uh, the meek, as we read, may eventually inherit the earth. But you know what the meek aren't going to do? They are not going to win presidential office in 2016. If you look at the, the field of people who are out there, meekness is out right now. Um, the idea of, of having uh, strong deeds and gentle words, uh, of, of being uh, strong in spirit and yet under control, is, it seems, an artifact of the past. And yet, I would argue this, based on what Jesus is saying, it is better to be meek, better to be gentle, than to be arrogant and proud, and to not be in control of the self. It's better to practice self-control and to cultivate happiness than to give in to our base nature. I'm going to demonstrate that proposition in just a moment. Very quickly, let's talk about what's going on in Matthew. In chapters 1 through 4, we are being shown by the author that this is the Messiah, that this man is the one who was to come uh, legally. According to prophecy, he has the moral qualifications to be Messiah. And and so this one is the Messiah. And then in chapter 4, Messiah begins to reveal himself. He calls some disciples. He begins to preach and heal. And as chapter 4 closes out and chapter 5 begins, his teaching ministry gets underway. And so what he's doing now is teaching his disciples. He goes up on the mountain. He withdraws from the crowd that's pressing in on him because we we discussed it's not just uh, important that he heal, but also that he teach because there is a greater need that we have than just physical blessing. We need spiritual knowledge so we can access the heavenly blessings that Jesus will bring when he dies and is raised 
from the dead. So he's teaching his disciples here and the eavesdropping crowd. And he is beginning with an overview of the character of his kingdom. What are the, the citizens of his kingdom like? What is, what is it like to live in the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God, which is spiritually real now, because Jesus is in the world in Matthew 5, and uh, the, the blessings which are to be had in Christ because of his death and resurrection, the presence of the Holy Spirit, all that is real now, but it will become realer and be forever real when Jesus returns. Um, interesting quote, uh, Brother Bruce read this from the platform last week. This is from the, uh, the Baptist preacher from the 19th century, Spurgeon. He said this about the Beatitudes that, that Jesus is going through, these, these statements, blessed are. Um, he says this, note with delight that the blessing is in every case, in every line, in the present tense, a happiness to be enjoyed and delighted in now. What Jesus is, he's not saying blessed shall be, but blessed are, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. There is not one step in the whole divine experience of the believer, not one link in the wonderful chain of divine grace in which there is a withdrawal of the divine smile. I love that. The whole of the Christian life is conducted under the smile of God. There's no absence of real happiness. God never says, one day you'll get this without giving us something tangible at that moment. Blessed is the first moment of the Christian life on earth. And blessed is the last. Um, Jesus is at the point now in our, our study of this topic where he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. That's a word you're probably going to hear a hundred times this morning, although I'm going to try to use a whole bunch of other words. And, and they all point back to, to this concept of, of, of meekness. To be blessed is to be in right relationship with God, to enjoy all of his benefits. And Jesus is saying that, that those who live like this, those whose character reflects these beatitude statements are in right relationship with God. But he's also saying, live like this to enjoy all of God's blessings. Be this. This is what my followers are like. This is what the knowledge of who I am and the indwelling reality of, of the Holy Spirit, this is what is created in a believer when they follow, when they understand, when they receive what I've got for them. That means that belief in the good news about Jesus must come first. Okay? Belief in the good news about Jesus comes before we can look at these statements and say, that's not crazy. Okay, Because that, I think, is the reaction. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are, are, the, um, are, are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Like, this is the, the meek. What? This is the way that we think until we understand what we've been given in Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, Peter is discussing what Jesus did for us. And he says this, He himself bore our sins on, in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
By his wounds, you've been healed. And so, so the, the problem of sin is taken away. And we are raised to newness of life. We get our spiritual life back by the presence of Jesus' life and the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. And we're called to live to righteousness, to live lives that that reflect God's desire for us. So he took our place so that we could live this life. This attitude towards the world, these be attitudes, they assume a brand new heart. Because the, the, the natural person, the person who has, who has not yet experienced, believed, and received the Holy Spirit, they, they don't look at this and say, that makes me happy. To, to think of, that I'm going to be poor in spirit, or that I'm going to mourn, and that when I do that, I'm blessed. So we need a, a new heart. Imagine a, a movie trailer for this beatitude, okay? Verse 5. You're, uh, you're sitting in the, the movies, getting ready to see um, romantic comedy number 77, uh, and, and, and the, the trailers come up. What are we doing? 25 minutes of trailers before movies now, you know, all these, all these new commercials. And, and this, the, the voiceover comes on, right, to, 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 to inspire you to come in to watch this movie, and it says this, in a world where the arrogant crush the life out of everyone. It is better to be meek. And you would say, how, how in the world does that make sense? When, when, when there are people who are in control, who, are, who, who, who just live any way they want, who are wild or proud or harsh, or in a world where, where someone can get political power and alter the structure of a nation and potentially ruin it, living off the backs of the people, how is it better to be meek? Well, I'm going to give you a number of reasons why it's better to be meek than wild, proud, harsh, or out of control. Okay? We ready? The first reason is this. It's better to be meek because our Lord's example was meekness. Okay, now I get to define what it is. I get to say what, what, what meekness is. Um, what is Meekness. Jesus was meek. Okay? He says, Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is gentle. That's the word that's used here for meekness. Okay? Meekness rhymes with weakness, but it's not weakness. Okay? Meekness also, think about this, just to, just to make the connection between the fact that it rhymes with weakness doesn't mean it is weakness, okay? Um, meekness also rhymes with fleekness, okay? And if you know anything about being on fleek, right, you know, you know that, that this is a character quality which God commends in Christians, and so it ought to be there if they're going to be on fleek. It also rhymes with, with preakness, which is a horse race, okay? And uh, the, the, the word is used about uh, to describe great power under control. Think, think about a trained, tame horse. You would not put your child on a wild horse, but you will put your child on a tame horse, and yet are they not equally powerful? Right? That's, that's the, the, the way that the word is used in ancient culture is, is great power under control, often used of horses. Um, just let me, just, meekness, weakness, 
Um, meekness also rhymes with Mozambiqueness, <laughs> which is not a word. And so, so just drill this out of your head that meek means weak, because it doesn't. Um, there's the only connection is this is this kind of sounds like, which is which is foolish. Um, I our garage door wouldn't open a couple of years ago, and so I called a garage door technician, uh, and he comes out and he says, "You are so lucky that this garage door spring did not explode." And I'm like, "What?" Garage door springs explode, and he's like, "Oh yeah." He's like, "You know what? There, that that spring is round, wound up with so much tension." And he said, "If that lets go, you know, it will just it will spit. It'll start breaking the metal. It'll go all over the place if the spring is." And I'm like, "Who knew?" You know, like I'm thinking, like, don't keep flammable things in the garage. You know, like shut the cars off when you park. Like those are the dangerous things. Garage door spring, like, whoa. So write that down. Go check spring. Um, you know, just. Uh, uh, great power under control. It's, 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 it's the tension is there. It's, it, is, it is being used in the proper way. Jesus was meek. Okay. Great power, fully under control. What does that mean? Search for an example of Jesus being meek? No. Everything he ever done, everything he ever did, Everything he ever done, everything he ever did was done in a spirit of gentleness and meekness. He was always in control. You can look at him in any situation and say, that's what it means to be under control. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, said that, um, that we're to be meek in two ways. We're to be meek toward God, right? If we are in control of ourselves, then we ought to be ready to submit to God's will. We ought to be flexible towards God's word. When God says, live this way, and the Spirit brings a principle to remembrance, we ought to say, yes, that's the will of God for me, and I'm going to bend. Why? Because I don't fight back against God constantly. I follow the course that he's laid out for me. He also says that we ought to be meek towards men. Um, and, and the way that we demonstrate that we are in control of our spirits and that we are not out of control is that we follow the commands of God and we bear injuries in a particular way. That we forgive wrongs done to us in the way that God commands. And that when someone does evil to us, we don't just reflect that back on them, but in control and understanding our Lord's example, we Return evil with good. Think about it. On the day of Pentecost, the the birth of the church, Peter preaches the very first sermon and he says that Jesus went to the cross and he says that he was delivered up and crucified by the hands of wicked men. And when he says that, you know what he says to them? And you are some of them. He's saying, you did this to the crowd. And then it says, many people came to the Lord. Don't you think that in that crowd, some of the people who decided Jesus should die, they were there, and they repented, and God gave them life. He doesn't return evil with evil. He returns evil with good, and we ought to as well. Spurgeon says, when those who are meek towards God hear a principle from God's word, They seek to obey it at once. This was part of the genius of Jesus' life, is that 
as a man, fully man, fully God, he was always saying, yes, Lord. He said things like, I only do what I see my father doing. Whatever my father gives me to do, I do it. When those who are meek hear a principle from God's word, they seek to obey it at once. They don't ask, is this essential to salvation? This was just too good. I couldn't pass it up. Spurgeon says they're responsive to their God and not so selfish as to only obey when their salvation depends on it. Can you imagine if you're saying to your kids, hey, could you pick that up? And they're like, well, are you going to feed me tonight or not? <laughs> right? Could you, could you, um, you know, gather all your laundry and bring it down to the laundry room? Well, you know, are you going to, are you going to drive me to my friend's house? Because if you're not, I'm not going to do it. I'd be like, who do you think you are? You know, everything you've got, the electricity, the, the, the phone, you know, the internet, computers, food, you know, it, it all comes from the fact that your mom and I are here and we supply these things to you, please, you know, like don't make it a, a war constantly. So why are we, amen, that's right. There will be more on parenting. Hang on, hang on. Um, uh, 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 meekness, why? Because our Lord was meek. Next. Because we fear the powerful and the strong, but we love the strong and gentle. Just think about human nature, right? Proverbs 16.32 says this, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit is better than he who takes a city. There are two kinds of people in the world, right? There are those who, when we think of them, we're sad that they're gone. And then there are those, when we think of them, we're glad that they're gone, right? Think about it. And who is it that you're, you're glad that they're gone? I mean, let's just put a name out there. Hitler, right? Strong, yeah, right? But with evil intent. He takes power and he uses it to crush and oppress people. Strong and gentle. You, you see someone has vanished from the world, someone who was good, somebody who loved people, somebody who cared for people, somebody who slowed down and said, how are you? And, and when you say, I'm not so good, they listen, or if they can, they help you out some way, right? When a, when a person like that leaves the world, you feel like something is gone and it can never be replaced. We fear the powerful and the strong, but we love those who are strong and gentle. Next, great men are gentle. Moses says of himself uh, in Numbers 12.3 that he was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. He might not have been the humblest, but he was, he was the meekest. He had great power and great ability, but he didn't use it to his own advantage. He served the people. Paul, 2 Corinthians 10.1, it says that he came in the meekness of Christ. He came with a gentle spirit when he ministered. Great men are gentle. Next, uh, humility makes the mark in our memory. When we think of, of great people, we think of their humility and their self-control and their acts of service and gentleness. Giant killing David was meek. In the cave, what does he do? First Samuel uh, chapter 24, he's in the cave, right? He's with his men. Saul comes into the cave because he's looking for a nice, cool place to relieve himself. And, and David and his men are in the back of the cave, and David's probably like this, like, and the guys have all got their swords out. This is a great children's book illustration. I'm not really <laughs> seeing it done very well. Um, and so, so there's Saul, and David is there, right? And, and, and he's holding back his men, and they're all like, you're the anointed king. 
You're going to be king. That guy's old news. God took his spirit from him and gave it to you. Do it. David's like, nope. Not going to do it. So then when, when Saul leaves the cave, David uh, holds up the train and he shouts out from a safe distance because he's smart. He says, hey, um, Saul, I had a chance to kill you and I didn't. Why are you trying to kill me? And Saul responds by saying, is this your voice, my son, David? And he weeps. He says to David, you are more righteous than I. You've repaid me good. Whereas I have repaid you evil. And some people might see foolishness in that. You should have taken your chance, David, and advanced. But only the proud see foolishness in this. The humble who look to God and say, God gives me my place in the world. Those who are under control and they say, whatever the Lord's will is, he can raise me up or tear me down. He is the one who determines to prosper me. They see wisdom in the way that David responds. Humility makes the mark in our memory. Next, because we're called to be world changers as the disciples of Jesus. In Luke chapter 22, verse 26, Jesus kicks off a new way of leading people. He says, it's not exercising authority. It's not demanding and saying, do this and do this and do this. That's the way the Gentiles live. Not so with you. There's a new way. The disciples, one of the ways in which they lead in world change is not reflecting back what they receive to people who abuse them and mistreat them. Instead, when when they are done wrong, when somebody does evil to them, they convert it into good and they release it back into the world. We lead by serving others. And when somebody hurts us, right, we are not so lacking in self-control that we say, I got to hurt that person back, right? Because that means that that person is in control of us if they dictate what we do. But if someone is evil to us and we say, I will seek to do good to them, just like David did in the cave, then God is in control of what we do and the way that we live. We lead by serving others, whether they have done us right or done us wrong, and by setting an example. Romans 12.1, Paul says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Isn't this the parenting battle cry? Right? Come on. That was supposed to be funny. <laughs> Don't be overcome by evil, overcome evil with good. All right, anyway. Um, we struggle to obey this. Why? Because we don't see the wisdom. We, we, we lose our perspective when we don't see the, the wisdom of being empowered by the Spirit and saying, if, if, if I demonstrate the right reaction, if I show, then, then my children, then my employees, then, then those who I'm brothers and sisters in Christ with, they will see the character of God. They'll see the work of the Holy Spirit in me, and they'll say, yes, that's the way to live. They'll have an example. We're called to change the world, and that's one of the ways in which we do it. It's, meekness is also better than arrogance and pride because lack of self-control and humility brings trouble into the world. Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. What is that? Meekness, strength under control. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. You see that? Proud, arrogant, 
unrestrained behavior opens the door to the devil. Do what you like, right? Would any of you do this? We, we have a, a habit. We try to get to the door before somebody rings the doorbell in our house because the dog goes crazy. He barks. And when he barks, he's very, very loud. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if somebody... So we, we run to the door. If Nancy was like, run to the door. Well, who's here? The devil. I'd be like, what? <laughs> no, go away. Hide. Everybody get down. Like, no, no, no. We're not, we're not letting the devil into our house. You wouldn't do that, Right? Why then would you say, oh, I'm going to give in to anger right now. I'm so angry about this. I'm going to fume for weeks. And when I see my chance, I am going to strike. I'm going to, I'm going to show that person exactly what they deserve. I'm going to, I'm going to embarrass. Why, what, you know what you're doing? You're saying, oh, come live in my house. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Maybe you've had the experience of of, of saying the wrong thing to someone, right? And instead of them responding with anger, you realize, you just see it on their face, you realize you've just hurt them. You could not have, have hurt them more if you shot them with an arrow. You know, their, their heart is just breaking and you see the tears begin to well. Maybe they get up from the table, grab a tissue and leave the room. You, you, you put them to grief. Do not grieve the Spirit of God. How does that happen? When we, when we don't actively fight bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor. We don't ratchet it down. Uh, I picked up a, um, a, uh, a mattress at someone's house a couple weeks ago. And, uh, you know, when you put a mattress on your roof, you, you see people driving, right, and they're, like, holding it. Have you ever seen anybody, like, put something on the roof of their car, and they're like, oh, yeah, I can resist all the, the physical forces that are going to come against this mattress and hold it down. And it all works, like, at 15 or 20 miles an hour, doesn't it? Yeah. You ever had this experience? You get to 35, <laughs> Right? No, you need those ratcheting tie-downs. And this is what we need, need spiritually. We need to restrain our base nature and live in the way that God commands and say no and manage our spirits and say, you are not going to live this way. Now, you might say, it's my nature to be angry. I'm just a stubborn person. I'm passionate. I was, I was born this way. Okay? First of all, you can't put that on God. Ecclesiastes 7.29 says that God has made you upright, but you've pursued many schemes. God did not give you this nature. And think about it. If you were to go in front of a judge and say, oh, but it's in my nature to steal, he would say, okay, you know what we do with people like that? We punish them. Does not the Bible command us to acknowledge that we are poor in spirit, that we mourn over what we lack in terms of righteousness and then to repent and receive a new nature? It's my nature to be angry. We'll get a new nature. Right? It's possible. Flesh and blood cannot inherit God's kingdom, but God will give life to whoever asks. He will give righteousness and His Spirit. Next, self-control is consistent with our identity. Meekness is a response to our real nature. 
Uh, The preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, a humble and gentle attitude to others is deter, uh, which is, that the meekness is a humble and gentle attitude to others, which is determined by a true estimate of ourselves. It's easy to confess our sins before God. God, please forgive me. I am a sinner. I sinned in this way. This is all private, quiet, right? Um, And and, and we, we acknowledge before God that we're sinners. But it's hard, right, to allow others to recognize and address our sins. It's hard to say to your spouse, I've sinned in this way, or to, to say to a child or, or to a brother or sister in Christ, yeah, you're right, I sinned there, and to, to acknowledge it, and then to let them say, yeah, you sinned in that way. We're opening ourselves up to challenge when we are meek because, because we, are, we are acknowledging who we are and not managing all of our own press. Not, not hiding it because of fear or, or stamping it down because of pride. Meekness, self-control, humility is a true view of ourselves, expressing it in our attitude and our conduct towards others. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, The meek man is amazed that God and others think as well of them as they do and treat him as well as they do. Think about that. Does your understanding of who you are, I am a sinner, and I I deserve punishment, but instead God gave me life, and he adopted me, and he forgave me, and he's going to one day give me a kingdom. Does that understanding of who you are and what you deserve and what you've got affect the way that you relate to other people? You know, this this person, you know, sometimes you're like, well, you know, I treat believers good, but unbelievers, no, right? You know, lost people that, you know, they're going to eventually get what they deserve. It's like, do you understand that that person could be your potential brother or sister in Christ one day? They just don't even know it. I, I, was, I was talking with Nancy last weekend, and I said, I, I would love, if this were possible, but I know I would change the entire space-time continuum, I would love to go back into the past and tell myself in 10th grade, just walk up to myself, probably like, who is this old? You know, I would love to say, that girl that you're going to meet today, you're going to think, look at her, you know, with her, with, she's, she's talking, she's got all these friends, they're laughing, and you just looked at her and thought, like, I do not like her. One day you're going to have four kids, and you're not even going to be able to imagine life without her. I just think, man, that'd be so neat. What would, the, what would that first, we did not like each other the first year we knew each other. We just could not stand each other. Story for another time. Anyway, um, but but just just imagine if, if 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 how how you would treat people, or maybe you do this. That's good. If you would say, "I've been forgiven, and I've got so much more than I deserve," and then think, "How how should I ask?" Okay, now I'm going to try, as we keep going through some reasons, I'm going to try to show you how the meek inherit the earth as I, as I go through some of these better reasons. So there's, there's probably three ways in which I believe that we inherit the earth. Okay, um, meekness, self-control, is better than being out of control uh, because you're embracing a deeper nature than just your own. Okay, than what you were, you were born with. Uh, when we are clutching, angry, um, out of control, right? Part of that is because we, if we, from our inside, we're defending what we, we think, this is all I've got. You know, I need to defend my name or my honor or my, my pride. Or if that person hurts me and I let them hurt me, they'll hurt me again. I need to fight back. Um, that's as deep as we go. But 2 Corinthians 6.10 says this. 
That we're to live as having nothing. This is the way Paul lived, as having nothing yet possessing everything. What does that mean? It means that, that, that though we may be deprived in this world, we are in right relationship to God, and that ought to affect our perspective. How do we inherit the earth when, when we embrace our deeper nature, our, our identification with Christ? Think about this. There has only been one truly meek man. Moses is a sinner, and so is David, and so is every other self-controlled, humble person who has existed. They, they acknowledge their, their sinfulness and their lack of the, 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 the right or the, the good favor of God, but Jesus never had to do that. Jesus never had to say, well, I'm doing better than I deserve. Jesus, through his entire life, rightly related to God, and God has richly blessed him, which means this, the meek, the one meek man has already inherited the earth. Jesus owns it all. What does he say in Matthew 28? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And the Bible says we are in Christ. We're in him. We're, we're members of him. In the book of, of John, Jesus like, puts this like, uh, puzzle together that I, I try to map it out in doodles. And he says, like, if, if you believe in me, then I'll come to live in you, and the Father lives in me, and you'll be in the Father, and I'll be in you. And you're like, how does that, it's like those, uh, uh, those, those nesting dolls. Like, how, does that, how does that work? Who's in who? Who's where? Um, oh, okay. Hey, there's a Bible verse. Um, I just noticed that. Um, we, we are members of Christ. Now, we may look out in the world and say, we don't possess the earth. Other people possess the earth. Um, dictators and and nations and, uh, you know, wicked people. You know, there, there are people who own enormous tracts of land and I'm not allowed to walk on them and we think that's terrible. Um, one day, all things will be sorted out. We don't have the wisdom or the knowledge to determine who needs what taken away from them. We don't, we don't have the ability to fix the world. There are some pretty smart people in government. Some pretty smart people in government, not all of them, but I know some smart people who are in government and they're good people and they have not yet managed to figure out how to fix all the problems of the world. But one day Christ will come and he will fix it. He knows who deserves reward and he knows who deserves punishment. I believe it's uh, Martin Luther who said that the wicked may possess the earth, but not as the fruit of God's favor. They hold on to it like a dog holds a piece of poisoned bread. One day, everything will be made right. When we demonstrate self-control and humility, we're embracing a nature that's deeper than just our own. We're embracing the fact that we are made new in Christ. Next, uh, because time spent blowing up or losing control or fretting is wasted, but time spent devoted to godliness and gentleness is time well spent. Again, here's Martin Luther. He says, again, the worldlings, because they will not endure poverty or trouble or violence, neither have nor enjoy the kingdom of heaven or worldly good with peace and quiet. 
And then he says, you can read more about this in Psalm 37, which is the real commentary on this passage and richly describes how the meek will inherit the earth and the ungodly are to be cut off. The proud and the arrogant and those who lack self-control are not always the powerful and they don't always possess things. Sometimes we demonstrate ungodliness in our lives by moaning and wailing and complaining about everything, right? We can, we can do this. We can demonstrate that we're not content with what we have and we can fret. Psalm 37, verse 1, fret not yourself because of evildoers. That guy, he did this and he's getting ahead. You know, if it weren't for all these Bible rules, I could live that way too, right? The psalmist says, don't worry yourself because of the way they live. Don't be envious of wrongdoers. They will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. I love that. Live where you are. And make friends with being faithful to God's commands. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When? Not really sure. Eventually. It's coming. Psalm 37, 8. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It only tends to evil. Evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. And then here's the direct quote. This is what Jesus is quoting in Matthew 5, 5. The meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. How do the meek inherit the earth? They, they act as if they have already inherited it, and they live as if they are receiving the present blessings of God, knowing that they will increase. They are content with what they have, and they believe that that is their inheritance. Let me demonstrate this. Um, I think it's Spurgeon tells a story about a man who is not meek and he says he he sits down and he leads his family in prayer. As he closes his eyes and he bows his head, his wife puts his plate in front of him and he says, Lord, for this we are about to receive, we are extremely grateful. Amen. And he opens his eyes and says, what? Cold mutton again? Right? We, We can look at what we have and say, I deserve better. I deserve more. And it's not a sin to try to increase your your standing in the world or to to enjoy a better lifestyle. There's no wrong in that. But to to look at everything that's coming to you and to constantly complain and to say, I deserve more, is to lack contentment. And God is faithful to us in our present situation. We don't always need better. Humility is saying, I will remain humble. Why is it better to be humble and in control, self-control, spirit control? Because the proud and arrogant lose, not just by a bit, but by a mile. I can remember being on the swim team as a kid. And there was this one kid who just ran his mouth all the time about how good he was, how how fast he was. You know, and I can remember watching a race that he was in. I think my brother was in it. In swimming, the faster guys go towards the center, and this guy was somewhere I can't remember. But I can remember my brother diving in, swimming. He's a fa- he was a fast swimmer, and finishing and getting out and like looking. And this guy was still swimming, still swimming. You know, my brother's like, I'm dry. I'm in my clothes. Like I've changed. I'm ready to go home. And, and I mean, it wasn't that bad. But it's like when 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 you see how far behind he was it's like oh you just feel that agony 
Choose one of the two, Martin Luther says, whichever you please, either to live with meekness and patience among the people and keep what you have with peace and a good conscience, or instead live, I love this, this is what I have to say, live with racket and rumpus and lose your own and have no peace because it's settled. The meek will inherit the earth. In Matthew 19, Jesus says to his disciples, truly I say to you in the new world, in, in the regeneration, when, when all are raised, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. One day, Jesus will come and set up a kingdom, and all will be made new, and all will be right. And then the meek will truly inherit the earth. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close down. Um, I'm going to share one more, and then we're going to talk about how. Uh, meekness, self-control, and humility. That's the prerequisite quality required to see God. Have you ever, if you've been through college, right, you have, you've had this experience um, where you go to register for class, and they say, have you taken the class before it? And they say, you say, no, I, I haven't. And they say, well, you've got to take that class, and then you can take this, right? Prerequisite, pre-required. Meekness is required to see God. There are stair steps here in the Beatitudes, right? The first is a negative. We need to, em- we need to demonstrate that we lack something. We need to lack um, richness of spirit. We, we, we have to acknowledge that we are poor in spirit and that we need cleansing. We need righteousness to come from God. And then here's another negative quality um, that, that we mourn, that we, say, that we say, I've sinned and I've fallen short of the glory of God and I need, I need forgiveness to come to me. That's emphasizing a, a lack again. But then here comes a positive quality. Meekness, which is evidence of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Self-control is there, right? And so now we see God is actually working. He's, he's, he's doing something. The Holy Spirit is creating something new in us. And that leads then to the next step, which is a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And what happens to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? They see God. That's the pinnacle to say, I want to live like God calls me to. Meekness is necessary along the journey that we demonstrate self-control. Well, I could, I could keep going, but I want to talk about how. How do we do it? First and foremost, I say, let the subject of your study be the life of Jesus. What does the, the Bible say in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18? That we, with unveiled face, we behold the glory of the Lord and we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. That as we look on Jesus, as we study him and worship him and praise him and examine the way that he lived his life and the way that he cared and the way that he spoke and the way that he led, we will be changed. So let him be the subject of your study. And then pray earnestly that God would change you. Pray that God would meeken you. That he would humble you. You, that he would give you greater levels of self-control, which is spirit control. 1 Peter 5.10, after you have suffered a little while, this will be painful, this transformation. 
after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, and then here are the key words, strengthen and establish you. So good to be transformed by Christ. We have to go to him and say, I am poor in spirit and I mourn what I lack. Make me meek. And that's how we climb the stairs. We admit our poverty of spirit. We mourn our sinfulness. We cry out to the Lord that his spirit would supply every need and that we would be changed. Progress is the key, folks, not perfection. We don't need to be perfect. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so all we need to do is to demonstrate that we are moving forward on the path. Listen, this, let this encourage you as you think. If, there's, if anything has been exposed, if there's been any, uh, any stinging, any pain, I'm not like that, I need to change. You know, maybe you got uh, jabbed by your spouse or by your child during this. Like, that's you. You need to change that. Um, making progress is cause for hope. Don't despair. Let me encourage you. Romans 8.14 says this, All who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. That's good news. It doesn't say all who are led successfully to the, to, the, to the destination. All who do everything perfectly, it's those who are led, right? And being led is just letting someone take you by the hand and then you taking the first step to follow them. Okay, let's go. Be led by the Spirit. As we close, the band is going to come and, uh, and we're going we're gonna to sing. Um, but let me just encourage you to put your faith and trust in Christ if you haven't. Uh, those who stand in the presence of God on the last day are those who have been changed by God's Spirit, by those who have received a new spirit, by those who've repented of their sins. And so it is near impossible to understand what's being spoken of here. It's impossible to attain it without first receiving Christ. And so let me urge you, encourage you to repent of your sins and to put your faith and trust in him. And if you've done that, let me encourage you to take a deep inventory of your life and say, am I self-controlled? Am I humble? Is my strength under control? And identify just a few areas that you will pray about. Father, make me gentle towards my children. Father, make me gentle towards this person who's hurt me. Help me to Keep my cool with this person who's in authority over me at work or with this person who's under me at work and to live the way that you command me to. And I believe if you do that, that God will grow you in grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. And we pray that, that though we've been challenged to live according to your holy standard, that we would not despair because you promised to give us all the resources that we need in Christ. We pray that, that as we make progress and as we grow, that, that it will be seen in our lives that we demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, that we're living the way that is consistent with your Spirit's work in us. We pray that we would grow in grace and self-control. We pray also, Father, this morning that if there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus, they're trying to deal with their sins on their own, they're, they're trying to... Uh, to cancel out their sins by good works. They're, they're unwilling to ask you to forgive them. I pray that they would repent of that and put their faith and trust in Christ who bore 
our sins, their sins, in their body on the cross so that they might die to sin and live to righteousness. And I pray that they would be freed and they would follow you. Father, we thank you for the goodness of your word. We ask that we would walk in the goodness of it this day and every day for Jesus' sake. Amen.